It was a surprise from Mr. Larry uh, to, uh, to little William and uh, Brian and Kelly. Very fun surprise. So I'm going to read our scripture reading for today, and you can follow along on the screen if you'd like. I actually changed it. It starts with uh, verse 1, which is reflected there, just not on the title screen. So this is, uh, the scripture is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 22. This is uh, the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the believers in Corinth. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaimed to you, which you in turn received, in which you also stand, through which you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaimed to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I had in turn received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cyphus, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. Now if Christ is proclaimed as Raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified that of God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through, one, through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has now come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so we all are made alive, made alive in Christ. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So it was one of the final requirements for my seminary degree. It's been a six-year-plus journey uh, that I've been on. One of the final requirements is what's called a mentored ministry experience. And for that experience, I have to go and serve 130 hours in a ministry different than this. I can't hang out with all of you and claim that that's my experience. It has to be kind of like very different from what I've been experiencing here. So I decided to dive deep into recovery circles attending Celebrate Recovery Services in Mankato, going to AA meetings and Al-Anon meetings. And I, so I have some background in that area. kind of gets my foot in the door. 
And I'm meeting all kinds of people as I'm doing this. And recently I made a friend. I won't tell you his name. But he told me this story that he, he lived a very sinful life for only 20, over 20 years of his life. You tell me if you think this is a sinful life. Dealing drugs. Using those same drugs and getting in lots of trouble with the police. He got in, he got in trouble so many times and had so many second chances. And he said that during that time of his life, he really was unapologetic. He would just get in trouble, and then he would go back to doing what he knew how to do. But three years ago, his life started to change. He began to respond to God's grace and to see the need for change in his life. He saw that if I stay on this trajectory, it's not going to work out very well for me. So he gave up dealing, and he started a journey in recovery. He started to take on care for a child that was not his own, his girlfriend's child. And then eventually they had a child together with the same woman. So he became a father. He started healing and growing. He started his own business that became very successful. You could say that a life transformation had begun. But now recently, he's facing potential prison time for charges that were recently brought against him. Something that had happened three plus years ago, but now the consequences were getting uh, brought forth three years later. So now if he goes to prison, great damage will be done to his life and to his loved ones. These two children who have come to know him as father, they'll be punished for his past choices. His potential future with this new business, gone. His road to recovery, who knows now when this new shame gets piled upon him. What should we think about this situation? What should Christians say to this young man as he's dealing with this difficult situation, this overwhelming unknown, this uncertainty? What should we say? A lot of people I know believe in karma. Karma is good things. If I do good things in life, good outcome. If I do bad things in life, bad outcome. A lot of Christians believe in karma, either directly or unknowingly. This is what we believe to be true, saying, if I do good things in my life, I can trust that I'm on a trajectory up towards heaven, that everything's just going to go really well with me because I was baptized, I attended church, I was confirmed, I gave money to the church, and nothing bad should ever happen to me. But karma is actually a concept that originated from the a Hindu religion, which carried over into Buddhism. Hindus say that you can't change your karma. Buddhists believe that over time you can change it slowly if, if you commit to a better way and if luck kind of goes your way. Buddhists believe that you can eventually change your karma. Now you may say, I'm not really sure what I believe here. This is kind of confusing, Pastor Chad, but a popular saying that you may have said and I know in the past I've said, is actually very representative of karma. What goes around comes around. Yeah, right? Do you see what starts to happen here? This theological blending? We end up as Christians adopting a theological belief from another religion because it's popular in culture. And it satisfies our desire for justice, for our retribution for wrongdoing. So it's easy when you take the most extreme example. We say, well, we want to see justice played out with criminals and thugs. Like, who doesn't want to see Vladimir Putin get what's coming to him, right? 
We say, well, that karma, you know, he's going to get what's coming to him. But is that really what we as Christians are supposed to believe? What happens then if we commit a wrong action and we know it's wrong? Should we be looking over our shoulder? Waiting for that to catch up with us? Well, what goes around comes around. When or where does that stop? You see, friends, karma is not at all what Jesus proclaimed. Not even close. Christ proclaimed the gospel, the forgiveness of sins. And not just forgiveness, a washing away of sins. Cleansing. New life. Healing. And this message is the culmination of our Christian faith. Everything hinges upon this message. Jesus Himself says in Luke 24, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead, and on the third day, on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So if karma were to be true, sinners, which I'm a sinner, sinners would have no hope. None. Your trajectory is set. But you know what we see when we read the Gospels is that Jesus hung out exclusively with sinners. So that doesn't make logical sense if He were to subscribe to what goes around comes around. Jesus hung out with sinners offering forgiveness of sins, a new trajectory in life. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of that time, didn't like Jesus making this claim, not one bit. After Jesus healed and paralyzed the man in front of a huge crowd, Jesus said to the man, Friend, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leader said, Who is this who speaks such blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can change the trajectory who can change the trajectory of a person's life but God alone? I just noticed something. This, the shirt off his back is not the title of this sermon. <laughs> so <laughs> That was from a different week. That's why most weeks I don't even put a sermon title in there. So <laughs> That happened before. Thank you, Andy. That's why you get the big bucks back there in the booth. <laughs> Man, technology. You know, there was a day when the preachers would just stand up. John Wesley used to just stand up in a field and preach. The people would come. But uh, there was a big difference between those times and our times today. So the religious leaders are saying, how can Jesus make this claim? And it's eventually what caused them to kill Jesus. But Jesus' response to those leaders when he heard them questioning, he said, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say stand up and walk? but so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, to change the trajectory of a person's life. He said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, stand up and take your bed and go home. Jesus makes some pretty audacious claims in this way. Who could possibly claim to alter the directions of a, a person's poor and even sinful choices? Who does he think he is? How could he possibly think that he has the power to do this? Well, that's exactly what the religious leaders didn't like about him. He was uh, committing heresy, blasphemy, lies about God. Only God, the one true God, could wipe away the cost of sin and offer eternal life. But if Jesus is making this claim, if he can take the pain 
and pay the price for our sins, then listen to this truth. Karma, karma has been rendered false. Karma is null and void. Karma is fake. The debt has been paid. There are still consequences for breaking the law or for hurting people or making bad choices, but mercy abounds with Jesus. This dilemma is exactly why the resurrection of Christ is such critical importance. The Apostle Paul calls this resurrection topic of first importance. Paul establishes a basis of evidence for the claims that he's making in this letter to the Corinthians, a group of relatively new believers in a very unchristian area. Some were starting to believe that the resurrection didn't happen. Made up. Fake. Just like karma. That it was just a made-up story. So Paul gives an account for the many times that Jesus was cited, saying that the reports are credible. Why is this important? Why does Paul need to stress the many times that Jesus was spotted? Because if Christ was resurrected, then it proves Jesus has the literal power, the felt power, to alter the trajectory of a person's life. Anybody can say they can do something, right? I could say that... Um, I could do whatever you wanted, but unless you saw in me the power to do it, you wouldn't believe me. So Jesus can say all he wants that um, he has the power and authority to forgive sins, but unless he demonstrates the power, there's no need to believe him. But Jesus started proving his power and authority through the many miracles that he performed. And this was the real test. Everyone saw him crucified. And if he could be raised to life, then the implications are profound. He can be trusted to forgive sins. He has authority and power to heal. He's leading us towards eternal life with Him that starts right now. But if it's not true, Paul says, if it's not true, then your faith is futile. If the resurrection didn't happen, then your faith is worthless. Your sins are not forgiven. You can't change the trajectory of your life. Your sinfulness is leading to your doom if the resurrection is not true. Then you might as well believe if this is true, that Christ was not resurrected. Well, you might as well believe what goes around comes around. Friends, Christ's resurrection is a a key distinction of first importance between what other religions believe about Jesus. Did you know that all these other religions believe that Jesus was a real person? They believe that he was a great moral teacher. That he's a mighty prophet. But if Christ was really resurrected, which is where they start to say, no, that's not true at all. If Christ was really resurrected, then he has ultimate authority beyond our comprehension. He can change the course of our lives. He can heal. He can forgive and teach us to forgive others. He can bring new life out of any circumstance. But that doesn't mean that consequences aren't real. But it does mean that our mistakes, our wounds, our sin doesn't have the final word. It doesn't define who we are. It doesn't define our worth or our value. Not even for my friend. No matter how the judge rules, I actually haven't seen him in a couple weeks and I wonder what, what happened. The true judge has rendered my friend forgiven regardless of the consequences that play out in life. He is forgiven. He is still dearly loved by Jesus. 
Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And I know this has been my experience. That Jesus changed the trajectory of my life. And many of you who have been here in this church know that. But spending time and spending this time in the recovery community has helped me to see the depths of which Christ changed my life. You know, when you're on a journey, you don't always know exactly what it means. <laughs> and as I'm spending time with all these people who have a very different trajectory than mine, I say, wow, it's actually kind of a miracle that I'm not in the same shoes as them because people who are in recovery or come from families that struggle with addiction have a really hard time getting out. So at the same time, I feel a sense of grace for what God has done in my life. But I also see the depths of healing and transformation that I personally have left to go. And the room for growth that I have to offer the same grace and forgiveness that I've received. But this, friends, the idea of karma had me wondering for some of the things that I've not even shared with you because I'm so ashamed of them. I've wondered throughout my life, when is the bottom going to fall out on this life? All these good things I'm working towards. When's the bottom going to fall out? When are the bad when are the bad vibes that I've had coming, when are they going to catch up with me? And I've unknowingly subscribed to this philosophy of karma. Remember? Good things, good people. Bad things, bad people. And I know that many of you believe in this philosophy because when you hear of somebody getting sick, when you hear of a tragic thing happening to someone that you love, you say, but they went to church all the time. They're such a good person. They did all the right things. They taught Sunday school. They did, and you say, how could this possibly happen? Friends, that is thinking that this world operates by a, a law of karma. Good things, good people. Bad things, bad people. Bad things can still happen, but not because what goes around comes around. But because we live in a cause and effect world full of sin and brokenness and evil. If you get sick, if you get cancer, if your child dies, you didn't do something wrong. It's a broken world. And Christ gave His life to bring you peace, to bring you wholeness, to bring you hope for right now and for the future. Instead of looking over my shoulder, Maybe instead of looking over your shoulder, wondering when is this bad thing going to happen? How many of us struggle with anxiety or fear, especially now? Instead of looking over our shoulder and wondering when our bad choices are going to catch up with us, we can admire Christ, the one who has brought forgiveness and healing, the one who loves me and you more than we may care to love ourselves. That's not karma. That's the grace of Jesus Christ. And His resurrection proves His power to change the trajectory of our lives. What goes around does not come around. He breaks this cycle by forgiving sins, healing our wounds, and continually offering grace and mercy as we need it. This is the good news and is exactly what Jesus told to Paul as he met him on the Damascus road. Paul asked Jesus, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord answered him, I am Jesus who you're persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you 
to serve and to testify to the things in which you have seen, seen in me and to those in which I will appear to you. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that may, they may receive forgiveness of sins and be on a new trajectory and receive a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So friends, today, I wonder how are you experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus? Are you hanging on to guilt and shame? Are you fearful of what might come back around, what might come to you in life? And if not, I suspect in this sanctuary, maybe you don't struggle with that at all. But then are you living a life that enables people to see the Holy Spirit the resurrection power of Jesus that has been proven through the resurrection, are you living a life that enables people to see that power in you? That's our call as Christians. To testify of the good news, not just by preachers preaching this word, but to have them see and experience the Holy Spirit within us. So maybe you can't relate to my friend. Maybe you say, well, yeah, he deserves what he's going to get. Okay? Maybe you can't relate to my story and the many times that I've talked about God changing my life. But you, friends, each of you, each of us, are on some kind of trajectory. You're becoming like someone or something. And oftentimes, if we're not intentional about who we're becoming like, we just become like everybody else around us and the culture, whatever they feed into us through technology and through our just common experience. So who are you becoming through your addictions? I'm not saying what your addictions are. You know what they are. Who are you becoming through your addictions? Who are you becoming like through your gossip? Or through your lying? Or avoidance of hard things? Who are you becoming like through your negative thinking? Through your unbelief? Or through your neglect of Christ, prioritizing everything else but Christ in your life? Who are you becoming? If we think that we've done enough, or are good enough, that we don't somehow need the grace of God that's offered freely to us, continually, continually, because He loves us. But if we think that we're good enough, or better than them, what just happened? We're operating from karma. They they get what they deserve. What goes around comes around is the real message that you're living by and proclaiming to others. Not the gospel of forgiveness and grace from Jesus Christ. But when we live by God's grace and continually discover our need for Christ as we go deeper and deeper and deeper, then we have truly accepted forgiveness of sins. A new life in Christ. Our new trajectory is towards and with Jesus. Come what may, now and for eternity. We get to spend the rest of our lives showing and telling people what Christ has done for us. Showing and telling. Experiencing the power of Christ because of the resurrection and because of His Holy Spirit among us. Friends, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah.
And I think we'll skip the next hymn. Before we take Holy Communion, I'd like us to just sit in a brief moment of silent prayer.